It's really been my uh, spirit for several weeks to encourage you and exhort you in the area of resilience as a believer. I believe the devil's doing everything he can to pound down and wear down God's people. And what we have to realize is we're not defeated because of what happens to us. We're defeated because we don't have the resilient spirit in us to deal with it. Now, Scripture is very plain. In this world you will have trouble, but the Word says we have good cheer. I have overcome them all. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but guess what God does? He delivers us from how many? From all of them. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 4, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Say it, I'm an overcomer. Well, how does that happen? Well, we do so because the victory that overcomes the world, the Bible says, is what? Even our faith. So, what we want to do is find out what we need to do to uh, develop habits that will cause resilience in, on the inside of us. Because you don't uh, find yourself defeated or out of sorts in terms of your, your victory with God because of what happens to you. You live long enough, something's going to happen to you, but that doesn't mean you have to fold like an old tent in the, in the wind can have an amen. amen. So resilient just simply means this. It means able to withstand or recover, recover quickly from difficult conditions. You're able to recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. The resilient spirit is going to persevere, will live in victory, is tender-hearted and kind and joyful and victorious every single day, no matter what's going on. In other words, your circumstances, what you see, what you hear, what you feel, have nothing to do with the victory that you're living in. Say, so, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm not moved by what I feel. What am I moved by? I'm moved by what God said in His Word. And you know what? God's Word is unchanging. God's Word is settled. It's forever. Amen. And if you and I want to be settled and fixed as well, the way to do that is to be attached to the Word of God. And that's not a one-time choice. That's a choice every single day of your life. You're going to have some influence tomorrow trying to knock you off the Word of God. Somebody's going to say something or do something to try to push you away from your firm hold on to and grip onto the Word of God. And you've got to make up your mind. That's the key uh, you know, ingredient in terms of your resilience. And if the Word of God is eternal, and it is, and if you and I want to be fixed and established, we're not going to do that with carnal means. You're not going to do that just with positive thinking. You're going to do it because you have latched onto that which has the power of eternity in it. So let's go a little bit further down this road. Let me remind you tonight why resiliency is so important. You might want to jot these down if you don't have them yet. First of all, resiliency sustains you when you face adversity and challenges. When there's nothing else to sustain you, that resilient spirit on the inside of you will. Now we've looked at Joseph in terms of his resiliency. How many thank God he hung in there? We look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, he, he did too. In fact, he said, none of these things move me. I'm going to go and do what God's called me to do. And we talked about this last week. The reason he had that mindset, and in his mind, he had a debt of love to pay. What does the Bible say in Romans 13, 8? Oh, no man, nothing except the continuing debt to what? To love. And so that love compelled him. That love constrained him. And you, when you and I owe something, what should we do? We should pay it. So we talked about this last week. I owe, I owe, it's off to work. I go. Well, you and I have a love debt. So I owe, I owe, it's off to ministry, I go. For the rest of your life. 
And then you don't retire on the other side. Say it with me. I owe, I owe. It's off to ministry. I go. You know, people that, uh, that have adopted a mentality, well, I've been in church a long time. I've paid my dues. I've done my bit. And I can just sit here and cruise until Jesus comes back. You missed the whole point. You did not pay off your love debt. So you don't get to retire. Thank you. Come on, shout out. I owe. I owe. It's off to ministry. I go. Now, that's what a resilient spirit will do. When someone's compressed and pushed down and they don't snap back, they lose consciousness of that. Number two, it keeps you from losing heart and quitting. And if you don't quit, you're not going to lose. So say it, I cannot be defeated. That's fact. The child of God cannot be defeated. But a child of God can quit. So say it, I cannot be defeated, and I will not quit. One has to do with the reality of the power of God in you and through you. How many know He's able to keep you? You believe that today? He's able. How many know He has kept you thus far? How many have had some wicked things come at you? The devil did his best, but his best wasn't good enough. And here you stand tonight. You're actually in victory and still walking with God. So that is what He gives you and me. He gives us the ability to, to stand and He keeps us. But the second part has nothing to do with His will. It has to do with our will. Say it with me. I will not quit. So how are we defeated? How do we lose? We lose if we quit. And that's why you need resiliency of spirit to hang in there when times are tough. Hang in there when things don't seem like they're going right. You know, your perspective of, of, of life is always jaded by carnal thinking. You very rarely get to peek behind the curtain. That's why you have to trust the uncompromised Word of God when you can't sense things with the natural senses. Number three, it helps you reach your divine destiny. There is no path forward without resiliency. And the enemy will do everything he can to trip you up. But he has no answer for a believer who makes up their mind. They're going to stand. They're going to keep walking with God. If you're going to reach your destiny, you're going to have to develop a resiliency of spirit. And I'll tell you this. I've watched this through the years. Just when God's about to advance somebody, about to promote somebody, the devil will throw everything but the kitchen sink at them to try to get them to waver and try to get them to give up and try to get them to make a bad decision to pull themselves out of the will of God. And oftentimes I, I, I sense this that uh, the Lord is watching too. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be faithful yeah. or are they going to give themselves over to that pressure? Are they going to be faithful or are they going to give themselves over to that frustration? And a lot of great men and women of God have taken themselves completely out of the will of God because they couldn't hang in there long enough. What was that? That was a failure of resiliency in their life. I tell you, you don't want to lose God's best because you couldn't hang in there. Turn to somebody and tell them, hang in there. Come on, tell them again. Say, hang in there. It's going to help you reach your divine destiny, but you're not going to get there without the resiliency of a Joseph or the resiliency of a Paul. Amen. In fact, I've, I've watched this, that sometimes these, these things God has planned for us, they don't manifest sometimes for a long time. And there's some Christians, particularly in America, if it doesn't happen in a week, must not be God's will. No. We know God has set these things in order and He has planned these things for you. I mean, how many of God has plans to prosper you and to give you a future? That doesn't mean they're going to happen next week. They're plans to prosper you. 
and to give you a future. They're going to unfold over time. Your job is to stay on the path of God. You won't stay on the path of God if you don't develop a resiliency of spirit. Number four, encourages others when they see your steadfastness. When they see you hang in there, it encourages them. Well, if Sharon can do it, Amen. Glory to God. Say it. If Sharon can do it, I can do it. You know, everybody in this room has a story of something that hit them and hit them hard. But they're still hanging in there. It encourages other people when you take a hit and keep on going. Come on, say it with me. I take a licking and keep on ticking. Mm -hmm. Number five, it honors God. It means His promises and commands are important enough to us to stand and fight for them no matter what. It honors God when you're resilient. I'm just going to stand and believe God. I'm going to fight. I'm going to continue to, to trust God with this situation. And you know it honors God. There's nothing more pleasing to the Lord than we stand in honor, in faith on His Word, and trust what He said no matter what you see. I can tell you that the season that we're entering into, in, in particularly the Western Church and the American Church, um, this is not going to be for the faint-hearted. We're going to find out who really is the believer. Amen. And a lot of Christians, that if they give a sniffle, that's it. They're done. Take them out for the count. And they have one hardship, one difficulty. Somebody makes one harsh comment to them. Somebody doesn't praise them or worship them enough. They can't handle it. It is time for the body of Christ to grow up and grow up quickly. Or you're not going to make it. Because the devil's not going to give you any sympathy. This world's not going to give you any sympathy. Amen? Most people aren't conscious of the struggles you're going through, so who's going to encourage you? Well, there's a man named David who was being chased by a wicked, demonic king. Comes back to where his family is in a place called Ziklag and finds it burned down to the ground and everything gone, including his family. Huh? There's no wife there, in his case, wives. But that's another sermon for another day. <laughs> Come on, say it. One's enough. One's One husband enough. is enough. Amen. One wife is enough. The Bible knows what it's talking about. But he gets there and everybody's gone. And it's not just him. All their stuff's gone. All of his men, their families are carried off. And the people, the Bible says, the men wept till they couldn't weep anymore. And who do they turn to in their hour of blame? David. So watch this, okay? Everybody say King David. King David. Resilient. Man of God. How many know it? Putting up with Saul and putting up with his son Absalom, putting up with, with Ziklag and his man. How many know he was a resilient leader? Not a perfect one, but a resilient leader. Well, there's nobody there. Wives not there. Kids aren't there. Right? Other family members aren't there. The rest of the men's families aren't there. And they all want to take him out and kill him. Who does that leave? And the Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, the modern Christian, if we don't have 15 people holding us up and calling us and writing us and sending us emails, how you doing, darling, everything's going to be okay, we can't make it. You've got to get to the point that you're going to make it with your hand in God's hand if anybody goes with you or not. Amen. You're going to stand. Yes. Now, should we look out for each other? Yes. yes. But there are going to be some times even when people are looking out for you and you still feel like you're isolated. Yes. Fifteen people can call you a day and you still feel like, well, nobody cares. Where did you get that from? You heard that somewhere. 
but it didn't come from the Holy Ghost. Come on, say it with me. The, the phrase, nobody cares, is from a demon. And it's a lie. Because your God always cares. So who would give you a thought that's a lie? The evil one would. So there's going to have to be a, a real quickening in the body of Christ to say, you know what, I'm going to stand. I'm going to be an encouragement to others. And if there is no one else, I'm going to stand and honor God just like David did. Now, you may have a situation just like Ziklag, but you know, everybody's Ziklag is different. Amen. Sense of loss, sense of grief, you know, sense of frustration, sense of disappointment, a dream that's busted up, a relationship that is destroyed. People go through different things. But the lesson there is absolutely monumental. Yes. You may feel like absolutely everyone's turned against you, but guess what? God has not. He will never leave you nor forsake you. His presence will always be there for you and with you, and you can always count on him to bring you through. Amen. Now, it's no fun to beat Ziklag. But if you are, you might as well go ahead and honor God while you're there. Amen. Uh, don't buy real estate in Ziklag. Don't have a pity party. Invite all the friends that won't come anyway. Amen. No. Nobody came to my party. How sad is that? My pity party. Well, no one's supposed to come to your pity party. It's just for you. Amen. Say it with me. It honors God when I stand on His promises and His commands. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? The NLT says, If you fall or fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Now, I can guarantee you this, the pressure is going to come. That much I can assure you. The question is, will you have made the quality of decision that you're going to stand, having done all to stand, you're going to be resilient. Now watch this, that's important to make that quality decision. Say, I'm going to stand with God's help. I'm going to stand no matter what I go through, no matter what happens, no matter what I see, no matter what I hear, no matter what I feel. Now, with that quality decision, it's going to take some practical steps for you to keep yourself in a place of resiliency of spirit. Because a lot of people are just not there. So let's talk about that a little bit. I mentioned this last week, that uh, last year, around this time of the year, June 24th of last year, there was a condominium in Surfside, uh, Florida, right outside Miami. And the thing collapsed in the middle of the night, 1.32 o'clock in the morning. It ended up being that 97 were killed and one was in the hospital and later died. So 98 total that died. And uh, there are all kinds of theories as to what happened. But basically what happened was there was construction nearby that was causing some vibrations. But what happened over time is that salt air would begin to, you know, seep into the building and begin to degrade the steel structure within that concrete. And in the middle of the night, say the middle of the night. Say with me, the middle of the night, one whole side of that condo just collapsed. And I want you to notice this. It may have looked like it imploded suddenly. That's what an implosion is. But the reality is it didn't happen overnight. And as a Christian, you're not going to implode over one thing that happens to you. It's going to be over time. And then that last thing is going to happen 
Somebody's going to throw their two cents in. They're going to throw their critical remark in. They're going to have somebody reject you. Somebody's going to oppose you. Something's going to happen. And that's going to be the moment that you collapse just like that condo unless you pay attention to what's going on and realize that there are things out there in the atmosphere in Surfside, you know, Florida, that can degrade the stability of that structure. And it happened that way. There are things in our atmosphere that have the ability to degrade the structure within us if we don't pay attention to it. And here's the thing. I can't really help you with it. I can just tell you, you know, do some checks, pay attention, watch for, you know, evidences that you're not being as resilient as you need to be. But at the end of the day, you have to do the inspection. And so that's one of the reasons why if you have a, a condo in certain parts of the country, they have to go through rigorous inspections to find out what's happening from an engineering standpoint because it can kill a lot of people. And the sad thing is, there are dozens of condos in Miami right now in the same shape. There are millions of Christians in the same shape. The atmosphere over time has degraded the structure within. And when the pressure comes, a little vibration from a construction site down the block and the thing flattens like a pancake and people's lives are destroyed. Look at somebody and say, that's not for me. You see, it's the internal compromise of the structure that causes the implosion. No matter what somebody throws at you, no matter what the devil does, it's not what happens on the outside end that will do all the damage. It's the condition on the inside. Say it with me, it's the structure, the strength on the inside. So that's why we're here tonight talking about the habits of resilient Christians. These are areas where you need to be diligent. Write this down. Diligence just simply means steady application to any business. Diligence is being steady in any business that you're involved in. So, you know, if you're involved in farming, you're, you're steady in the application of that business. If you're involved in, in you know, music production or film or television, you're steady. If you're involved in business, that's what you're doing. If you're practicing law, you're steady. How many know that we can do better than just practice medicine, for example? <laughs> but you're what? You're steady in the application in that particular business or pursuit. In other words, you have to be steady in certain areas of your life if you're going to have the inner strength, if you're going to have the resilience when things happen. Let me say it again. In this world, you will what? You will what? You have trouble. Jesus talked about the two kinds of soil. Man built his house upon what? A rock. Another man built his house upon? The sand. Right? So far, so good in terms of understanding. But what's the point of that story? The story is, when the storm came, the house that was built on the sand, what happened? Collapsed. Was it the storm that caused the house to collapse? Or was it the shoddy construction and the shoddy foundation? Now, time-wise, there was as much time spent on the foundation where you're sitting right now than on the actual construction of this building. The elevation, the rock, the structure, you know, getting into, going down to where it's actually good, good soil and, and bringing back the gravel and doing all the work in terms of you know, the concrete and prepping the foundations because these are 26-foot mainframes that hold this building up. And I assure you, if you want to hold this building up, you better pay attention to what? The foundation. The foundation. And then, of course, you know, you actually see this, but nobody really sees what's below the grade that's actually holding everything up. 
That's where you have to pay attention. That's where the diligence is necessary in your Christian walk. And this is not done publicly. It's not done so everybody can see. It's you paying attention to things. So when the storm comes, right, you, in fact, are the one who not just survives, but you thrive. And the only difference between the man who had a house built on sand and the man who had a house built on the rock is they heard and then put into practice what Jesus said. There's your foundation. Say it with me, hearing and doing. Notice they both heard. The hearing and doing is what's required for your house to stand. So looking at things that will cause you, because you know, the, the storm and the winds are assured. I thought when I got saved, born again, spirit filled, became a word person, I'd have like a bubble. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry, but the, and your bubble got popped a long time ago. You're not, you're not promised that you're not going to face storms. You are promised that you're going to come out victorious every single time. That little misunderstanding causes a lot of people to wilt under pressure. If I just prayed enough, confessed enough, shouted enough, went to church enough, then the devil would leave me alone. Do you know what happens when people pray and shout and praise and go to church and are faithful? They become prime targets of the operation of the enemy. Faith is not a, a protector from the enemy's opportunities. Faith is, is a guarantee of them. It's like a bullseye. Look at somebody and say, you're a bullseye. Why? Because of the faith that operates in your life. That's right. That's why you have to pay attention to a thing like resiliency. Say, I have a resilient spirit. Say, I'm not a quitter. I'm not a doubter. I'm a believer. I have inner strength from the Lord. Go with me over to Isaiah 51 for a moment. I just want to read a couple of passages and then give these to you. Start with Isaiah 51. When you're there, say, I'm there. Verse 1, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Does that include anybody here tonight? Anybody pursuing righteousness? Mm -hmm. And who seeks the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut. And to the quarry from which you were hewn. So are you from sand stock? Are you from rock stock? Mm -hmm. Look to Abram, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was but one. But I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion, and I will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. What does that tell you? It tells you that God works resiliency in his people. He wants you to flourish. Amen. Go to Isaiah 55. We'll look at a couple sections here tonight. But Isaiah 55. Look at verse 12. You'll go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow what? The pine tree, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Say it with me. Resiliency. Resiliency. Flourishing. Flourishing. 
Amen? Excelling despite the conditions in the natural. Go over to Psalm 92 for a moment. Look at somebody say, my, you're looking resilient tonight. Tell somebody else, my, you're looking resilient tonight. We don't even say things like that, do we? Because we value the wrong things. Huh? Oh, you look pretty, you look handsome. You look rested, you look well. <laughs> you look dog tired. <laughs> When's the last time somebody said, my, you look resilient tonight? Which really, if you think about it, is far more important than what you look like in the natural. Psalm 92. Let's just pick this up about verse 12. The righteous, say that's me, will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted huh, in the house of the Lord. How are they flourishing? They're planted in the house of the Lord. You know why a lot of people have withered in the American church? Because they weren't planted. And they're still not planted. Amen? They have more honor for a thing called COVID than they do for the Lord their God. And the problem with that, my friends, is next time it'll be something else. And after that, it'll be something else. And after that, it'll be something else until you make up your mind that you're going to be planted. Amen. The Bible says, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They'll still bear fruit in old age. Yes. They'll stay fresh and green. I got two amens from a couple ladies that are older than the 20-year-olds in this room right now. Can I have some amens from everybody tonight? They will Amen. still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh. And green. Yes. Anybody here know what Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, used to say? When you're green, you're growing. When you're red, you rot. God wants you growing, developing, flourishing. He is into resiliency. His will is resiliency. Not that you just sit on a shelf until the day you die, but you bear fruit all the days of your life, no matter what age or season you're actually in. Say it again. I have a resilient spirit. Flourishing in the house of the Lord. Here are five habits I want you to focus on. And I believe if you'll just be diligent about these, you'll see some consistency. It'll encourage you if you're doing these things. Uh, if you've not been, it'll, it'll bring some strength back to you. You'll notice that God is working in your life. But this is not something anybody can do for you. You have to do it yourself. Number one, the habit of seeking God. Scripture says, those that seek me will find me. And, um, you know, it has to do with feasting on the bread of life. It has to do with drinking of rivers of living water. It has to do with nourishing yourself spiritually correct, correctly. And that's not going to happen on Wednesday or Sundays. Mm -hmm. Amen. Brother Copeland saw this years ago in the spirit. He saw God showed him God's people throughout the church as stick people. They had huge heads, big old heads. And they had stick bodies. And Lord, he was like, Lord, what's that all about? He goes, they have been feeding their minds 
They've not been paying attention to feeding their spirits. So they're big in the head, but the rest of their spirit being is actually anemic. Uh, this came to, to you this morning, Jackie, about Camilla, our friend from Sweden. You were saying, and I don't think she'd mind or you would mind, but uh, she was delivered from anorexia. In fact, she was nearly dead, down to 75 pounds. When a pastor received a word from the Lord to go pray for her, and two hours later she was born again, spirit-filled, and gaining weight supernaturally, and she looked perfectly healthy on Sunday morning. Um, Jackie just kind of sensed that that's the condition of the body of Christ, anorexic. It's the same principle. How do you get from a healthy body to an anorexic one? It's not that complicated. Nourishment. You don't eat properly. And, you know, religious people think, and we grew up like this, you know, we, we get up and go Sunday morning for, you know, an hour and five minutes, hour and ten minutes at the most, and say hi, bye, and walk out the church feeling like we accomplished something. We weren't really feasting at all. No. And we con ourselves into thinking, and so what's, what's tonight about? Tonight's about exhorting you to feed yourself. Yes. This isn't about feeding you. Mm -hmm. The old adage that, well, I'm not going to that church because I just don't get fed. You missed the point. It's your job to feed you. Right. Who feeds you the rest of the week naturally? Me. You do. So who's going to feed yourself spiritually all week long? Me. You do. So if you're a stick person or a spiritual anorexic, whose fault is that? Well, it's got to be the pastor's fault. It's got to be the deacon's fault. It's got to be the Sunday school teacher's fault. It's got to be that church's fault. No. We can't make you eat spiritual food any more than we can make you take what? Physical nourishment. They're, they can stick you on a feeding tube, whatever, but guess what? Everybody knows that doesn't last very long. Right. You have to make up your mind that seeking God and eating of His Word and nourishing myself on His Word and nourishing myself in His presence, that is a, a value. And that is a number one key to having a resilient spirit. So what does this tell us about the condition of the body of Christ? Well, when 40% of Christians in America claim to be born again, they haven't come back to church yet, what does that tell you about their resiliency? Do you think they're spending five hours a day in God's presence and word at home? No. They have lost their appetite for nourishment. And once that happens, you don't want to eat. You don't, you don't feel like eating. You know, food doesn't taste good to you anymore. And it's just a downward cycle from that. I mean, it was, um, I think, 32 years old that Karen Carpenter died. Heart failure of anorexia. She read in a Rolling Stone magazine, somebody called her pudgy. Now, she was never very, you know, large to begin with. And she went from being very slim to completely skeleton-like by the time her life ended. Have you ever heard a more beautiful voice in your entire life? The good news is her and her brother went to the Baptist church in Downey and got saved there. So we know where she is. She's singing with Jesus now. But what happened? No nourishment eventually killed her physically. I guess what? You don't start nourishing yourself spiritually, it'll have the same effect, but the consequences will be far greater than just physical. Amen. Amen. Look at somebody and say, feed yourself. Feed yourself. Drink the water. Drink the water. Eat, the bread. Eat the bread. He's the bread of life, isn't he? Yes, he is. Man didn't live on what? 
bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Aren't you glad it's available to us today? Say with a habit of seeking God. A lot of Christians have a habit of not seeking God. 21 days in a row seeking God. As I said last week, not five hours at a time, but if you just would do 15, 20, 30 minutes a day to begin with and form a habit, it'll transform your life. You will feel the infusement of God's supernatural grace and power, even if it's a diligent and consistent amount of time, even if it's not five hours. Some people binge and then take you know, a break from God for weeks on end. Binge and then take a break from God. No, just be consistent. Say it with me, be consistent. In your consistency lies the power. Now, you can develop a habit of ignoring God's presence. You can develop a habit of seeking God. That is going to be the greatest factor for your resiliency. And how can we tell? Well, we probably need to shore it up. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit's lacking in our lives. Attitude goes south. Amen. Amen. No, we don't need more attitudes in the body of Christ. We need more spirit of Christ in the church. But, uh, you know, you, you bend a certain way emotionally in terms of your words and your actions and your spirit and your attitude. It's probably an indicator you need more time, not less time in his presence. Amen. Amen. Number two, the habit of forgiveness. I promise you this. Absolutely, 100% promise you this. If you won't forgive people, you will implode one day. Yes. It may not be today. It may not be next month. But you mark my words, if you won't forgive people, you will implode. Then it will not be nice. It will be pretty ugly all the way around, and it's not necessary. The Bible says, blessed are what? The merciful, for they'll obtain mercy. Raise your hand if you ever hurt anybody in your life. Amen? Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt in life. Well, that's pretty much an agreement, isn't it? So we need to be what? Forgiven, but we also need to be Forgivers. And it's amazing that, uh, that we want somebody to judge us by our intentions, but we judge everybody else by their actions. Huh? Say, blessed, blessed are the merciful. I'm not uh, saying anything I know that doesn't resonate with your heart, but you can't go on holding on to things and holding on to grudges at other people and then at the same time receiving God's mercy for yourself. You will implode. Now, the question is, uh, is when and what set of circumstances and, and who you take out with you? Because the bitter never go out alone. The bitter springs up and causes what? A defiling of many. Write this down. It means disqualifying many. You will never go down by yourself. And that, that condo does not just, just take down one person. It killed 98 people. When you go down, you'll take somebody else with you. Promise you that. And there's nothing sadder than a Christian that takes on somebody else's offense. Why would you do that? It's all a part of the enemy's design, not just to cause them to implode, but to try to get you to implode. Look at somebody and say, I got enough stuff on my own life. I've got time for your offense. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Not have time to take on somebody else's bitterness because of what they're into. Say it, the habit of seeking God. Say it, the habit of forgiveness. Let me say it again. I promise you, you will implode if you don't forgive. 
Just like that salt air, that salt causing corrosion, eventually weakening the steel on the inside, you know, of those structures, you and I, uh, with unforgiveness, that'll continue to just fret against our structure until one day it fails. And it doesn't have to be that way. All you, can, all you have to do is just release people. Amen? And that doesn't mean they're going to be your best buddy. That doesn't mean you're going to suddenly forget what they did and said. But that has nothing to do with it. Forgiveness is a function of the love of God. It's a function of your will. Watch this. Function does not, is not a manifestation of your emotions. Forgiveness is not a manifestation of how you feel. The center for forgiveness comes from the spirit man and is exercised by the will. Say it with me. I will to forgive others. So if I will to forgive and I won't forgive, what is that? I'm willing not to forgive. And that's going to cause an implosion in your life. Number three, the habit of reflection. That means taking a good, honest look at every dimension of your life and being honest about it. Um, what's going on with you emotionally? What's going on in your will? Is it submitted to God? Come on, say it. Thy will be done. Not my will. A lot of people could care less about the will of God. I'm going to do what I want to do. We'll just kind of probe and test here and go there and go over here and see if it's God's will. Just sit down and shut up and let God lead you. You are not Lord of your life. An honest assessment of your emotional life, an honest assessment of your mental life, an honest assessment of your will, an honest assessment of what's going on with you spiritually. Are you anemic? Are you growing? Are you nourished? An honest assessment of what's going on with your body. And we're not talking about some Hollywood illusion or some photoshopped image somewhere. We're talking about your health in terms of what God would have you be and do. What is God saying to you? It does you no good to try to do what everybody else is doing. You know who knows the perfect diet for you? The one that made you. Amen. Which means you really can't package it and market it. Because it's just for you. You listen to what he tells you to do. You'll succeed. You remember Susan Powder a few years ago? She was a weightlifter and in the martial arts. And she came out with this slogan, if you eat fat, you get fat. Made millions of dollars on a total lie. You don't get fat from eating fat. What do you get fat from? Class. Put it this way, what do Americans get fat from? Sugar, processed carbohydrates primarily. Not taking in fat. In fact, a lot of the experts will tell you that eating right fat is actually good for you. <laughs> amen. You notice how quiet it's getting right now. You know, just settle down. I'm not going to point you out, amen, and ask you what you're eating. Amen. <laughs> but who knows, right? I'm talking about not somebody else evaluating you. I'm talking about you being honest with what God is telling you to do. And if you do that with yourself mentally, emotionally, and in terms of your will, in terms of your spiritual life, in terms of your body, um, you won't be condemned. Amen. And if you hear from him, you're more likely to do the thing that he's telling you to do than what some person thinks anyway. We're talking about being honest about it. How many you allow God to speak to you in any area of your life? And this assessment doesn't need to be done every 10 years. Right. Amen. Get up in the morning and say, Lord, how am I doing? Uh, 
Am I still running around like an emotional two-year-old? Huh? Do I have the emotional maturity of a five-year-old in daycare? Huh? Or am I actually developing and growing in these areas? Do an assessment. Amen? You're far more likely to be healthy that way. Say it, the habit of reflection. An honest assessment and action and even repentance when necessary. Say repentance. Say it this way. Repentance is positive. It's good. Come on, say it's good. Repentance is good for you. It's not a negative thing. So if you're doing the assessment and he talks to you, and he will, maybe that's why some of us don't want an assessment. <laughs> we don't want the feedback. <laughs> so we don't bother listening. Have you know, if you ask, he'll tell you. Yeah. Amen. Remember Job? Brace yourself. <laughs> I will question you. <laughs> he will give you the feedback that you're asking for. But it's a good thing. So somehow what you're doing contradicts the word of God. Did repent. And I mean the word of God in his written word, but also whatever the spirit of God has spoken to you about. Amen. Number four, the habit of humility. The habit of humility. God gives favor to what? To the humble, but he opposes the proud, he says in a couple of places in Scripture. Um, humble just simply means every single day letting God be able to teach you and instruct you, not being a know-it-all, being pliable, being moldable, being correctable. You know, Kelly's telling me about... Uh, yeah, a young person on Facebook, and every day there's a post about what's wrong with the church, what's wrong with the church. I said, well, what somebody needs to do is post, you're what's wrong with the church, because you're always telling what's wrong with the church. Um, <laughs> Brother Copeland heard from the Lord one time, and the Lord said, you know what's wrong with the church? <laughs> and he said, what's that? Now, how many know when God says something's wrong with the church, something's probably wrong with the church? <laughs> this is what he said. He said, Lord, what, what's, what's the biggest problem in the church? He said, it's your dog of determination to correct one another. He said, I'm the father and I'll do the correcting. Uh -oh. So you're 20, 21 years old and you have arrived. You know everything that's wrong with the church. Is that a, is that a demonstration of humility or outright arrogance? How many have found out the longer you live, the more you think you know, the more you find out you don't know? Huh? Age will produce eventually, if you're listening, humility. I mean, by the time you get to be Jim's age, you find out you don't know nothing. <laughs> you know a lot of, yeah, amen. <laughs> Say it with me, humility. So when the word's going forth and it goes contrary to your religion, what do you do? You humble yourself. Amen. I can't tell you how many people have come to me or Kelly through the years and said, you know what? Uh, I want you to speak into my life. I want you to say the hard thing. If you want to say, if you need to say, I want, I want to know what God is saying. And so the first time, you do. I mean, I've literally watched people just, compl I mean, one person in particular, oh, Kelly, I want you to speak into my life. Okay. Well, here's what God is, and how many know Kelly doesn't go around volunteering correction? Does that make sense? That's just the way we live. You know, if, if we're supposed to say something, we'll say something. But when you invite it, and then it's given, and then you get offended, you didn't mean that at all. 
That looked like humility, but in reality, it was humility wrapped up in pride. I am teachable. Try me. Okay. <laughs> when you are, are unable to be corrected, when you're unable to learn, develop, you're done. Just go ahead and pack your saddle up and ship it home. You're done. You can't go very far in the things of God when you've learned everything there is to learn. That's what religious people do. They're, they're shut off to revelation. They've encapsuled themselves in a, in a tomb, you know, of their own wisdom, their own thinking. But you and I are teachable. Say it, I'm teachable. I am pliable. Say it, I am moldable. I want the favor of God. Well, why is this so important in terms of your resilience? Because it's the, it's the humble that receives the favor of God. The Bible says he literally opposes the proud. So how are you going to be resilient and victorious when God himself is against you? Say this to me, if God be for me, who could be against me? On the other hand, if God be against you, who can be for you? That's what the prideful have. And so you want to stay humble. Look at somebody and say humble, correctable, teachable. Uh, somebody volunteering, you know, speak into my life. Tell me the hard things. I want to know. I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Uh, we just always have the attitude now, well, we'll see. And then if somebody ever says, God's called me to be your armor bearer, just run for the hills. Just run for the hills. There's no concept in the American church about what that really involves. I'll give you a tip. An armor bearer is the first one that gets killed before the person they're armor bearing for. The armor bearer literally lays their life down like Jonathan did. Huh? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Everything should have come to him, but he sacrificed it all because of the covenant he had with his friend David. That's the picture. Um, it takes great humility to do that. But then again, Jesus said that he didn't come to what? Be served, but to serve, Right? And we know that he came to be a ransom, what? For many. Um, you and I are not called to you know, run around, elevating ourselves, promoting ourselves. He'll lift you up in due season. Do you believe that? Look at somebody and say, be teachable. Be humble. Be correctable. Correction is good. When you're uh, going through your days and weeks and months and you're never corrected by God, there's a warning sign right there. When's the last time you got a good thumping? Come on, when's the last time you got a good Holy Ghost thumping? I'm not talking about walking to condemnation. I mean, you know, you know that he took you to the woodshed. How does he do that? Not with verbal abuse and not with physical abuse. He does it with his word. He disciplines and corrects with his word. But when's the last time he just, he just flat told you how the cow ate the corn? Well, he didn't talk about cows and corns, Pastor, but I'm pretty sure he corrected me. <laughs> that should not be some distant memory. You know, back 50 years ago, he, he corrected me. Now, unless you've arrived, you should still be in need of his correction. Mm -hmm. Amen. Turn to somebody again and tell them, stay teachable. Stay teachable. Come on, say, stay teachable. stay teachable. The habit of humility. 
And number five, the habit of right thinking. Go back to Isaiah. And how you know that even a Christian's mind is a dangerous place? You don't know what you're thinking about, what you're meditating about. But the scripture says in Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. What are you supposed to do with your thoughts? Forsake them. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's telling you that uh, it's not that God's thoughts are unattainable, that's religious teaching, that's nonsense. What God is saying here is you have to know that the way you think and the way God thinks are not the same. And who should yield? We should yield. We should say, your thoughts are right, my thoughts are wrong. Well, that's not something that's a, that's a one-time deal. Go to 2 Corinthians for a moment and look carefully at whose responsibility it is to monitor the integrity of your thought life. I give you a tip. It's not the pastor. Can I have an amen? Amen. Can I have a better amen? Amen. I want you to... Um, I want you to think about it this way. There are lots of thoughts that you have that have nothing to do with you or the Holy Ghost. And let's just say that you're doing all the other things we talked about tonight. Okay? Let's just say that uh, you're, you're committed to, to seeking the Lord. You're committed to humility. And you're going you're gonna to walk circumspect before the Lord. You're going to honor Him. You're going to make this a priority in your life you're still going to have things that, that fly by you that did not come from God or you. And oftentimes, these are the seeds that compromise your resiliency in the end. I've said this for years, uh, you know, in, in staff meetings and in, in, in leadership meetings. I've told people that if you, you hook up to a place of leadership at a church like ours, you're going to get assaulted mentally. And even telling people that up front Grace, <laughs> even telling them up front, I'll still watch them a few years later. Just the devil will say something and they'll. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you should go to Timbuktu. You should go here. You should go there. You really aren't appreciated here. You should be over at this place. And even though they're trained and taught these things, here the thoughts still come. Well, guess what? God's not going to cast it down for you. Pastor can't cast it down for you. You're to cast down vain imaginations and everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. You have got to identify a lie from the pit of hell and shoot it down before it takes root in your heart. Because the thoughts aren't going to stop coming. Are you here? And I can't tell you how many people through the years, I can tell you exactly when it happened, and I can tell you exactly how it happened. They bought a lie, and the next thing you know, they're being discharged from the place that God assigned them to. They're not accomplishing the will of God. And when somebody leaves in deception from their spot, they never grow past that point. Catch them 10, 15 years later, and they're still not growing. They're still not in the plan of God. 
You've got to guard your heart. I said, you've got to guard your heart. Thank you for your enthusiasm over this revelation. You've got to guard your heart and you've got to protect your mind. And you've got to be willing to speak back when those things come at you. Brother Hagin used to say, you know, I can't do anything about the birds flying over my head. But I have everything to say about them nesting in my hair. And here comes the thought. Why, you should be offended over that. You should be really put out. You know what? That person doesn't care about you. Look, you're not really appreciated. This can happen in marriages. It can happen in ministries. It can happen in the workplace. You've got to open up your mouth and say, devil, shut up. That did not come from God. Amen. Amen. And I'm not going to receive it in Jesus' name. We have to get to the point where we're done taking orders from the devil. Listen to what I'm saying to you. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years old in the Lord and here comes a thought four or five times and now he's going to get us that way? Now you're going to listen to the devil after all that time? You're going to be defeated after all those years of faithfulness? Really? Yeah. It's real. The war is real right now. And I can't do it for you. Amen. If I could put like a, a shield over you, I would. But you can. Yeah. You can open up your mouth and say, that's a life in the pit of hell. Right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Going to do what God wants me to do. Going to be where God wants me to be. Going to be faithful and bloom where I'm planted. I'm not going to listen to the lies of the devil because that's what it is. How do you know the devil's lying? His when his mouth's moving. <laughs> When you hear the devil say, well, you'll never get that breakthrough, do you know why you should rejoice? Because he's a liar and everything he says is a lie. He just told you you're going to get that breakthrough. You'll never get that bill paid off. Guess what he just said? And when he says you're not appreciated, guess what he just told you? You're greatly appreciated and he wants you to think otherwise. I'm preaching better than y'all are looking at me right now. Huh? You would be so much happier over an XYZ than you are here. If he said that to you, then what's the truth? You'll be miserable over there and you'll be happiest in the will of God. He's a liar and the father of lies. Everything he says is what? Lie. So when he says you'll never get healed, you should just jump up and down for joy. Why? Because the opposite of what he says is the truth. God will never use you. Oh, praise God. <laughs> it'll sound strange to other people, but it'll make perfect sense to you. Amen. You're dumb as a brick. Hallelujah. <laughs> that just means you're really sharp. You'll never do anything. Praise God. I'm going to ascend to the mountain in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. And then the devil, you know, God just wants you to be happy. Can it help you? God just wants you to be obedient. After being saved since 1982, I can tell you sometimes I have been obedient and unhappy. <laughs> but I tell you what I did have, peace. Yeah. Yeah. In knowing I'm doing the will of God. Yeah. You see what I'm saying to you? Happiness has nothing to do 
with spiritual dynamics. Peace, joy. Now that's something you want to hold on to. The joy of the Lord is what? Is my strength. So who's supposed to cast down the vain imagination? Who? You are. I just want to call the pastor and have him cast him down. If I did, the devil's going to show up in five minutes later and try again. Well, I don't want him to do this anymore. I just want it to stop. Be careful. The only way for it to stop is for you to die. <laughs> Absent from the body. I can tell you where the devil's not. He's not in heaven. But as long as you're here, you're going to have to stay vigilant. We're talking about resilience. You put up with those thoughts long enough, and just like that, salt is going to destroy the structure on the inside of you. You'll become distrustful, unfaithful, you know, flaky, emotion-driven. There comes a time when I don't need, for example, a Mark Randall or a Jerry Henley, amen, or a Tammy Priest or whoever to tell me to hang in there. You're in the will of God. Do what you're supposed to do to bring me off an emotional cliff. There comes a time when you all need to grow up and self-police your own emotional life. Just like David did. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? You just say, you know what? I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. The devil may have launched an attack, but this is not over yet. I'm going to inquire of the Lord. Shall I pursue? And the Lord said, Pursue, and you will regain everything. He comes across a slave in the story of Ziklag where the king tossed him aside because he was injured. And he made a deal with him. You let me live, and I'll take you exactly where they are. David said, fine, that'll work. And they went back, and they attacked. And guess what? They recovered everything. Say it with me. Everything was recovered. Now, to sit down and implode, you're not going to get anything. But he went after them. And not only did they get everything from Ziklag, they got everything from every other village they had attacked. And their plunder was great. Come on, say it. My plunder, My plunder is, great. is great. But how you know if David's sitting there on a stump crying his eyes out, listening to the devil, he never would have gotten anything. Amen. It's great when everybody knows your name and everybody calls you and emails you and texts you and IMs you. And all the other, you know, technological ways they have of talking to you now. <laughs> That's right. A million ways to, to say hello to you and nobody says nothing. You think they could just pick one way to encourage me today in the Lord. No. Whose job is it? Well, I don't like that, Pastor. Well, I'm sorry you don't like it, but that's genuine, authentic New Testament Christianity. Yep. Paul and Silas sitting in jail. We're not singing until we get a sign from God. All we were doing was obeying the Lord. We weren't doing our own thing. We were following the will of God. And look where it got us, in the slammer. So we're just going to sit here and bellyache. Did anybody show up to tell them? Once you praise God right in the middle of the circumstance. Amen. Maybe God's going to use you. Amen. Maybe God's going to do something supernatural in this situation. The Bible says they began to sing the praises of God. And what happened? I'm telling you that a lot of Christians miss a lot of miracles because instead of praising God, they're belly aching in the obstacle. 
in the problem, in the situation. Amen. Come on, say, it's my job. It's my job to guard my heart and my mind. And when the stupid thought comes, to cast it down. Well, how often do I have to cast it down? As often as it comes. And watch this. You don't think a thought away. You speak a thought away. You open up your mouth and you say what the word of God says over that situation. Amen. Well, you would be happier doing such and such over here, living over there, whatever it is, or with a different spouse at a different house without the mouse. Amen. <laughs> and you open up your mouth and say, you know what? I'm in the perfect will of God, devil. And furthermore, there must be a reason you're so quick and so edgy to get me out of my spot. Hmm. I wonder, wonder why you're so motivated to get me out of my spot. Could it be because not only will I be blessed, but I'll be a blessing in that spot? See, I can't do this. I'm not going to show up in your living room at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're pacing the floor and say, now say this with me. You're going to have to open up your mouth and say, no. Devil, you must, you know, have a vested interest in compromising God's plan, or you wouldn't be going after me like this. But how many times I've seen Christians, mature Christians, actually convince themselves that what they're receiving has something to do with God's voice and God's will? Amen. Say it, the habit. Say it again, the habit of right thinking. Casting down. Vain imaginations. Forsaking your thoughts and thinking the thoughts of God. Amen. Glory to God. Now, when God has something for you to do or a transition for you to make, he'll make it plain. He don't need your help. He don't need you in the way. He doesn't need you in the front. He needs you following him. Amen? This is the way. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Hallelujah. Walk in it. So shout it out. Seeking God. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Reflection. Reflection. Humility. Right thinking, what's going to happen? You're not going to collapse. You're going to have long-term resilience. You are going to fulfill God's call and will on your life. Amen. Give him a hand clap if you can receive that today.